Praise God. Well, good morning, everybody. A way to uh, brave the elements. It's good to see everybody here today. Uh, welcome to week uh, number one of one. That's a little title we've given this series, and for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at this idea of unity. And what we're going to do is we're going to start every week off in prayer. Uh, in fact, we have uh, uh, just kind of reached out. I, I've had a chance to have begin relationships and friendships with some um, local pastors from other churches, and we want to start every week of a series based on unity, praying for another church in this community. Um, and I wondered if you would join me in that. So I want to show you a picture right here. Um, this morning, we're going to be praying for this wonderful couple right here. In the middle there, uh, the gentleman uh, with the kind of grandchildren in the, in the middle, that's Dar, and that's his wife, Angie. And this week, we're going to be praying for this particular church. Dar is the pastor of Victory Church, which is just around the corner here on Lincoln. And to simply say this, um, we love Victory Church. They are representing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not a perfect church any more than we are a perfect church, but they're full of our brothers and our sisters. And we commend them and we honor them and we respect them and we will speak well of them and we will pray for them and we will ask God to bless all that they place their hands to the plow in the kingdom of God and all of God's endeavors that he's called them to, that God would give them favor and blessing in every way possible. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah. So let's just pray for Victory Church right now. Father, thank you for this local church around the corner. And uh, thank you for Dara and Angie and all that they carry. And I pray right now that their load is light and easy and they have their eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. I pray that they're encouraged in ministry and they're not feeling defeated or discouraged in any way. I pray for their staff and their team and their elders and their leadership um, teams that they have and their small groups and all the different ministries that go on. I even pray for the facility, God, over there on, on Lincoln. And I pray, God, that they would simply see the favor and the blessing of God that many people would come to know Jesus Christ because of the representation of the gospel by Victory Church around the corner for here, from here. So God, we just say that we love these people, that they are our brothers and sisters, and we ask you to bless them, bless them, bless them in every way, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. That's a good thing to do, isn't it? That's a really, really good thing to do. So next week, we'll pray for another local church, and uh, we'll do that uh, each week of this series. So welcome to week number one of one. What are the benefits of unity? What's the point of unity? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at a few little items. What are the losses that you experience when disunity wins the day in your life? And we've all known moments where there's disunity. Maybe at work, or in family, or in marriage, or in friendships. It can go into every angle of our lives. What does it look like to be a man or a woman of unity? How do you love people that aren't easy to love? The difficult ones. You know those beautiful grannies with their hair in a bun and knitting needles, and every time they see you, they pinch your cheek, and they say that they love you, and they're praying for you, and God calls you to love those lovely grannies with their hair in a bun? It doesn't even count. They're too nice. They're too lovely. That doesn't count at all. How do you love people that are difficult to love, people that you don't want to love? How do you gain that kind of unity in your life? We're going to look at what you do when relational conflict kicks in, a gear, and that takes a toll. We're going to look at the origins of disunity, and we're going to look at some scripture in a few weeks that's actually literally about Satan himself, Lucifer, all of which touch our interpersonal relationships and especially the church. 
My hope and my prayer is that over the next four weeks, you will be better able to pick up the scent of disunity. You'll see it coming quicker. You'll say, oh, I know what this is. Here it is coming my way so that you can safeguard yourself against the damage that it wants to do to the human soul and you can be prepared to be a champion of unity, to be an outright warrior when it comes to unity in your life. Now this is so much more than people just getting along. This is so much more than us after the service. Let's all circle up and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. That's not it. It's way bigger than that. It's way, way more powerful than that. And to be able to avoid the damage that it does to our souls and to our families, to our marriages, and even to our church. Everybody in this room knows what it's like to have a friendship or a relationship that is wonderful and it's close and it's warm and it actually propels you forward in your life. But then, of course, every single one of us. In fact, there's not a single marriage in this room that hasn't experienced difficult times. Of course not. Sometimes that's a, a, a little argument. Sometimes it, it can go on for a period of time. Sometimes it can go on for years. And we're, we're caught in that. There's not a single one of us here that have not experienced a friendship, particularly if there's any sort of longevity to that friendship where there's been strain or a bit of stress or harsh words that were spoken. There's not a single parent in this room that has not been ready to pull their hair out. Yeah? Amen? We know this is the truth. There's not a single parent in this room where you feel like, man, I just, I'm a broken record saying the same thing again and again. I don't know that I'm getting anywhere. In fact, this seems to be uh, getting worse. We're just barking at each other. Every person here knows what it is to have a relationship, be it a neighbor or a colleague or your boss or your parents or your children or your spouse or a good friend, where it just feels like either things are going great or it feels like, man, we're walking in the opposite direction. And God is so kind, he actually talks about that very fact and reality of our lives in his word. Today, what I want to be talking about, what I'd like to aim at, if you don't mind, is this right here, this moment, the church. You are here, I presume, because your faith is important to you. And praise God for that. Um, you've battled through the elements this morning and the risk of what's gonna, what's it gonna be like when you leave here this morning. Because faith is important to you, because Jesus Christ means something to you. And it's important to perhaps your family or your children or your spouse that you want to say, well, actually, it's, I have to expose my soul to the, to the preached word of God, to corporate worship, to, to being with my brothers and sisters, um, to, to corporate prayer, to praying for other churches, for these kinds of things. And that's, that's a priority for me, and hence the fact that you are here today. But here's what I would perhaps say to you, just from my own personal experience. I have been in ministry for 23 years, I think, if I've done my maths right. 23 years. And I have been in church meetings, particularly the smaller meetings that happen during the week, where I have seen people um, who, who love Jesus Christ screaming at each other and shouting at each other and shoving their fingers and accusing and fighting. People who love Jesus Christ. I've been in those meetings. They're delightful meetings. I've seen splits in church, in churches and fights and arguments. I've seen, I've looked at stuff and I've gone, that's just politics. In the, in the church family, it's politics. It's people maneuvering themselves. It's people being territorial about certain things. 
I've seen people in particular in church, I don't know why church is huge for this, people grasping at titles. Well, I, I'm the coordinator in charge of this. I'm, the, um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an elder. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a trustee. I'm a, I'm, a direct, I'm a staff person. I'm the director of this. All of a sudden, these things come out. And it's like, well, this is my ministry, and, and this is how you do You don't do it like that. You do it this way. This is the way that you do ministry. People who love Jesus Christ talking like this to each other. I have seen comments come out. And this is where it gets, I think, very undercutting. Well, probably wasn't his best sermon in the world. Right here. He's not the sharpest guy around. I don't really like that about it. I don't like that program. Uh, I don't like that series. I don't like that he reads from that version of the Bible. She's not a very good leader. I don't know why she's running that. I don't like those, those, that music. I was a worship leader for years and years and years. I had people come in to me uh, telling me, we have to do hymns, we have to do songs from the 60s. Another person came to me and said, no, we need to do acoustic stuff from the 70s. Other people wanted me to do Petra from the 80s. I had other people coming in to me saying, I want acoustic style 90s stuff. I had one guy, and one day I led worship, and this guy came up to me after and said, that was too raucous, too loud, too rock and roll, I don't like that. And then I walked another 10 feet, and somebody came up to me and said, man, when are you going to crank it out, crank up the volume, and let's do it, man. Let's praise Jesus. You, listen, you can't win that one, can you? You can't win. And, and these little statements come in, and, and they just undercut and... I, and here's the worst one I ever saw in my own personal experience. I saw a lawsuit came against a church where accusations were brought that reached the front page newspaper of the national, national newspaper. And then really what I've just mentioned. When you think about it, we fight about, we argue and bicker about how can we express our love for Jesus Christ. Let's fight about that. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, does it? To fight about how we love how we express that love, it doesn't add up. There are tens of thousands, not of different kinds of churches. In this country alone, there are tens of thousands of different kinds of denominations of churches. Tens of thousands of them. This is the right theology. This is the right liturgy. This is the right worship. This is the right service. This is the right Bible translation. This is the right biblical leadership model. This is the right style. All of these things. I think this is a true story. I was told a story many years ago by somebody, and they had a straight face on. He said he actually attended a church, and the name of the church was the Church of the Left Foot. And of course, I went, why is it called the Church of the Left Foot? And he said, well, once a year, they have a, a thing they do where they wash people's feet, right? Jesus washed the disciples' feet. They wash people's feet. And of course, they knew it was coming. It was once a year, and the pastor would get up, and they had water and basins, and people sat down. They came up the front, and they took off a shoe. They would take off one shoe and one sock. Guess what they thought about? Which foot? And so there was a split. And so he attended the church of the left foot. If it wasn't so tragic, I'd laugh at it. It's ridiculous. Oh, my goodness. And Jesus said they would know us because of our love. The difference between construction and destruction is huge. It's massive, right? I want to ask you today, what direction do you tend to lean towards? 
Are you a person who tends to construct and build? Or do you tend to see the glass as half empty and pull it down? And we all have days where we lean in different directions, don't we? It takes time and effort and thought and sweat and ideas and, uh, and hard work to construct anything, a design, a, a, a plan, a piece of furniture, a, a, a team of people, a product, a business, a family, a, a vacation. Anything takes time and effort and sweat. To, and yet it takes two seconds to look at what someone else has built and to go, well, that wasn't very good. Anyone can do that. Anyone can look at someone else's effort and quickly say, well, I know how you could have done that better. Let, let, why don't I just shoot a few holes in that? I, I would have done it differently. And especially physically or literally, I mean, imagine getting your tools and getting some wood and saying, well, I'm going to make a table or a small piece of furniture or something like that. Uh, the time and effort that it would take me to build something like this would be months. I'm so bad. Uh, but, you know, that takes time and effort, right? To build that and to design it and to cut it and to shape it and to put it all together. And yet, if I have a sledgehammer, it takes me about 10 seconds to demolish something like this. Please hear this. Unity takes courage and hard work. Disunity is a fool's occupation, and it takes just a moment. Anybody can do disunity. Anybody. You don't need any kind of education or skill or experience. You can do it in a second and tear something apart. But unity, man, that takes a little bit of work and effort. And of all of the things for Jesus to bring up directly before his arrest, his trial, and his execution... Just before this happens, he's praying, and you'll never believe what he's praying about. <clears throat> Unity. Listen to his words. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be in us. So that, why? Why do we do unity? So that the world may believe that you sent me. So it's not even just for you. Like, unity is incredible. And we'll talk about some of the personal benefits to unity in your life, some of which are probably fairly obvious, right? A sense of harmony in your life and getting along with people. But it's not even just about you. It's actually for those who are lost. Those who know nothing of his love or his forgiveness. Those who are still lost in the depths of shame and guilt. Those who are apart from the Father, he says, one of the ways, one of the ways that they will know him and find him and experience him and find this forgiveness is you and I in unity, one, locked together in step, that we are one, that we don't bicker and fight and pick at each other. Instead, we love each other powerfully. We serve each other. We actually know each other. We celebrate each other's lives. We treat each other as greater than ourselves. That one conversation with me, you should walk away, and that this is what I'm doing. I'm just elevating you up above myself. Not in an unhealthy way, in a godly way. And that the lost would see that, or that they would be around this, and that they would somehow taste it or experience that around us, and it would actually convince them there is a God. Look at that. That that would be a testimony just of his reality of his existence, that they're convinced that it was real, that it was genuine, that it was family, that are people who actually know and love each other. Our ability to love one another will be our megaphone to the world. Our ability to love one another is a megaphone. He's real. Watch me love these people. And that will proclaim that truth. 
the lost watch us, particularly when a crisis comes in our lives, when something goes wrong in my life or in your life, and then what happens is the church, they just kick it up a gear, and now we just pour out love, and the, and the lost look at that and go, that's the real deal. There's a, a, a fabulous, beautiful, amazing gentleman in our church who passed away in recent months. And I don't want to mention his name because I don't want to embarrass his family who do not attend here in any way. He, a beautiful gentleman in our church passed away in recent months. His family don't come here at all. And I lost it. I, I had the honor of officiating at the funeral. And I lost it at the end of the funeral. I, was, I, was, I broke down into tears. I was trying to convey how proud I was of this church because of the lengths that I had seen individuals, people in this church, go to, <coughs> to just love and serve the family of this man who passed away that don't even go here. They just poured themselves out. They just bent over backwards, serving in any which way that I could. And then to see this man in his last few months and weeks and days, and to see individuals in this church just serving, just pouring out of their lives, just loving and carrying that man to death's door to, till he met his maker, it was just phenomenal. I just lost it in the middle of the funeral. I've, I have many reasons to be so proud of this church, but that right there, for me, as I looked at this man's family, was convincing truth that there is a God. Look at how these people love each other. Look at how they even love you. You're not a part of this family. You don't go here. You don't believe what we believe. You're in a totally different place. And yet we will just love and serve and celebrate and do everything that we can. It was incredible. I mean, it was, it was powerful. Truth be told, I've been itching to talk about this for a long time. And at the same time, I'm equally cautious as we open the door to this series one and we talk about unity. Can I tell you why I'm cautious? And I want to ask something of all of you, please. I'm cautious because I am convinced that when you bring this stuff up, the enemy of our souls who hates unity, and we're going to see this in a few weeks as we look at Lucifer, and he is, the, 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 he is championed disunity. He hates unity. And so when we speak truth about unity into your marriage and your friendships and into your work, here's the enemy comes along and says, well, let me take that out for a test drive to see if you really believe that and will actually live it out. And then equally so with regards to this local church, uh, I think when we begin to preach about unity in the church, the enemy literally says, I will bring a person, I will bring people, I will bring devices, I will bring an agenda to try to crack something in this church. If you're going to speak about that, watch me counter that with lies and deceit. And so my prayer is, my request is, would you please be in prayer, particularly if you're going to really engage with what we speak about. And you're going to see this affect your marriage and your friendships and your colleagues. And would you please be in prayer for this local church as we go through this? The reason why I'm itching to talk about this is because, here's why. When I first personally moved to Mount Pleasant and had the honor of coming into this role here and pastoring this church with such an amazing team, I was pinching myself for months. I walked in, and I promise you, I'm not even blowing smoke here, but I, wa I want you to know this. I walked into my first elder meeting, and here's what was in the back of my head that I didn't say to anybody. Okay, time to meet the weirdos. Here they are. Here, here comes the politics and the freaks, and here comes 
the people who are going to say, uh, this is my title and this is how you do ministry and squabbling and picking and territorialism and the meeting that happens when the meeting is done. There's another meeting for a few people who stay behind. You know that meeting? That's not a good meeting. And after a few hours, I left the meeting and I was like, wow, they love each other. They have their eyes on Jesus Christ. They're on their knees in prayer for this body. So I went to my next little team meeting. I went into the trustee meeting. I was like, okay, here's the freaks. Here we go. Here's where they're going to be. And I walked out a few hours later. Oh, they love Jesus too. I was pinching myself. They just, are, they just want to glorify God. They just are trying their best to serve him. There was great ideas and, and there, was, there was disagreement in the best way possible that came to a conclusion that they all walked out the door and said, this is how we're going to serve God best to the best of our knowledge. Let's do that. And I went, wow. So then I went to a deacon meeting. It's the same thing. There was no meeting after the meeting. There was no politics. There was no crazy. There were just people looking to care and give benevolence into this church and into the community. And I said, I know. I know where it is. I know where the freaks are. It'll be the staff. That's what it'll be. So I was literally here a day or two, and some kind individual gave the staff a gift of nine rolls, holes of golf at Books Run. And it was um, late summer, and so we all hopped in the car and we went to the Books Run for nine holes of golf. Great, right? What, what a kind thing to do, gift for the, for the staff. We took a half day out, we, we had some fun in the, in the sunshine. And uh, so I'm like, okay, here's where the weirdos are going to be. Here's where the, the problems are going to be, the problem people, the issues. And we divided up into groups of four to play the golf. And I literally, I didn't know anybody. I was literally at that stage like, hello, my name is Alan. Who are you? And I got in a group, and I don't like to name people, but there's a person on staff by the name of Holly Knudsen, okay? <laughs> and, then I, and then there used to be a person on staff um, and you may or may not know this person, but they left, a uh, great guy, he actually left to go to seminary, and his name was Mitch Sheehan, okay? So there's two people, I don't expect everyone to know them, maybe some of you know these people or not, Holly Knudsen and Mitch Sheehan, okay? So we're playing golf together, and I was in a group of four with, with both of these people. And after a few holes, Holly, who is, she does work with the children's ministry, amazing work, she is cracking up laughing because she's like, I am so bad at this game. She's like, I'm terrible. And she was laughing at herself. And she's like, Mitch, how do I, sling, how do I swing this stick? Stick. There's your clue right there. And so I'm standing there. I'm just laughing away. This is great. And Mitch comes up right behind her. And he puts his arms around her. And he grabs the club with her hands and his hands. And he's moving like this. And I'm like... That's a little friendly. <laughs> oh my goodness. And they're back and forth. And I'm like, okay, maybe he's going to do that for a second. I probably wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I just wouldn't do that, personally. But I'm like, but they're like hanging out and they're just doing this. And I'm backing up like, oh, dear Jesus. We found the freaks. Here they are. There's the problem. And I'm like, there's a problem on the staff. I'm like, more local newspaper, we've got problems going on in the staff. So I did the nine holes. Here was the other problem. We kept on bumping into the other groups and everyone's laughing. And they're like, no one had a problem with this. I'm like, how can this not be a problem? This is inappropriate. We can't be doing this. Nine holes get done. And I'm like inching over to Wally. So Wally, how you doing, buddy? So tell me about Holly Knudsen and Mitch Sheehan. He's like, oh yeah, they're brother and sister. I'm like, oh, that <laughs> 
thank you, sweet Jesus. I had no idea. They were, they're really brother and sister. They don't look anything like each other at all. It was crazy. Okay, so all of that to say, I've been pinching myself for three and a half years now. And I want to say this, and I want, if you want to respond to this, I would encourage you to. With all humility that I, can, that I can speak, with all of the honesty that I can speak, and with all of the glory going to God, our staff, our elders, our deacons, our trustees, these groups, they're just groups of men and women, and they conduct themselves with high integrity and high passion for Jesus and tremendous respect and love for each other. And I have yet to bump into politics or triangulation or the meeting after the meeting or control or manipulation. And in this moment, I want to say, Jesus, thank you for the unity in this local church. Amen. Now, did you hear what I just said? That is what the enemy will test. Elders, watch out. Deacons, careful. Caution. Any, every and every leader in this church, would you please be praying? Because now that will be tested. In that context, I, I, I believe the Lord gave me a scripture, and I've been holding on to this thing for probably three years now, and I want to read it to you. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when people live together in, can you say it out loud, in what? How good and pleasant it is when people live together in unity, one. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows blessing, even life forevermore. In the ESV, another translation, it says that last sentence, it says, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life evermore. So don't miss this golden truth. It applies to your marriage, to your relationships, to your work situation, and especially to the church. When you live in such a way that there is unity, godly unity, loving unity, God looks on that and he says, that is good and that is pleasant. And I will bestow, I will command a blessing and favor over that man, over that woman, over that marriage, over that business, over that friendship, and over that local church. I will command a blessing. Check out the language. When I see unity, in the ESV, the verb is I will command. Now, i got to ask you the question. Do you know anybody that can possibly get in the way or thwart, or hinder, or disable, or impede a command from the God of heaven and earth. I just don't have any friends that are that powerful. If God says it, it's done. And the reason why is because he is the captain of a host of angels. Because he is creator. He is king. He is supreme. He is the Lord of lords. He is perfect and holy and spotless and pure. And last time I looked, he looks to nobody for permission to do whatever he wants. If he commands it, it is a done deal. And I believe it is the reason why in this local church we have had such incredible fruit and blessing in recent years. People coming to Christ, benevolence pouring out of this church, discipleship taking place, more individuals coming into the building. We dare not look at the numbers. We keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, and with humility, we give him honor and glory, and we say, this is not our doing. It is our king. It's his doing. Why? Because we've loved each other, and God said, that's good. That's pleasant. I command my favor. I command blessing over that. Left to our own devices, we will tend to move towards 
what is simply known as people like us. Listen to these words. People like us, PLU. The true community of God, the true community God is looking for is not the fellowship of PLUs, but a God-given oneness among diverse people who are drawn together, not by similar outside interests or demographics, but because of our oneness in Christ. Our unity must have a supernatural basis. It must be attributable to Christ and not natural compatibility. Imagine a place. Imagine. Imagine a place where everybody was welcomed and everybody was loved. Imagine a place where you didn't have to be perfect, where those expectations were gone. Because I'm not perfect, and I know you're not. Imagine a place. Imagine a place where no matter what your life looks like today, no matter the challenges or difficulties or problems in your life, you might feel lost in the bottom of a pit. You have a community of unified people who on your behalf believe that with God, anything is possible. That's a powerful thing. I don't think like you think. We don't have the same background. I have a different accent. We speak different languages. We have different interests. We have different hobbies. We have different color skin. We come from different, uh, different socioeconomics. We vote about things differently, and we feel passionately about the things that we vote about. We have all kind, We have probably more reasons to be apart than we have together. But despite all of those differences, please listen to this truth. My dad and your dad is one and the same dad. That's it. That's what brings us together. That's what makes us family. That's what makes us brothers and sisters. That's why when one is hurting, when a gentleman in this church is passing away, this family says, oh, come on. Let's surround this with love and care. That's what we do. That's normal. And the world says, I think there might be a God. That is the unity. That is the foundation of unity. The fact that we are brothers and sisters, that we share the same father. I'm so grateful for adoption. And when God says, you know, when brothers and sisters enter into that, it's, he says it's both good and pleasant. Not everything is both good and pleasant. Who here as a kid got a spoonful of cod liver oil? It's good for you, but was it pleasant? Not at all. I like, I really like Irish chocolate. Uh, I like to have a bar or seven of Irish chocolate. <laughs> it's very pleasant, but it's really not good for me. Unity is both. Psalm 133 gives us two descriptions. Oil coming down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robe, pouring down. And the second thing it gives us is it talks about dew coming down on Mount Hermon. Watch the, watch the illustration here. Two pictures, both sources coming outside of themselves. Oil coming down on Aaron. This is the speaker for Moses. A dew coming down on Mount Hermon. Both sources have a vertical sense of movement. Both are coming from above and they are both coming down. Listen to Philippians chapter two. If being in a community of the spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. And when we start functioning like that, 
when we start treating others as greater than ourselves, when we're content to not always have to sit in the first chair, but happy to sit in the second chair, when we stop promoting ourselves and our opinions, when we serve and we lift other people up, God says, here's what I will do. I will pour over you. I will pour from above, down below, a source outside of yourself. This is the person of the Holy Spirit, and he will anoint and he will empower. This is how I am commanding a blessing. It is the person of the Holy Spirit. Two months ago, I lost it. Three different individuals on social media from three very different sources that I was connected with on, on social media. They got on uh, online and they began to just type away and it was toxic. And it was bashing the church. It was shredding the church. Three different people from three different places. They had no filter. They provided no context. context. There was no chance to get the other person's perspective with regards to, in the same week, three different situations. There was no chance for the other side of the coin to be heard. There was nothing given. It was just vindictive, nasty, hurt words, passive aggressive words intended to harm and to cut. Our uncommon fellowship is critical. It is critical. And here's why. Because disunity actually disrupts the mission that God has sent us on. I couldn't cope with this. I'm reading this stuff on my computer. Now, my mode of operation, I am not the kind of guy who goes looking for fights. But I could not help myself. I private messaged all three of them separately. Nice Irish pastor Alan was not so nice. What are you doing? Why are you talking like that? No. That is the height of immaturity. You're talking about, and here's the description that I want you to catch in your mind. You're talking about somebody's bride. You don't get to talk about somebody's bride like that. Revelations 19. Pinnacle moment of God bringing this whole story together and making everything right. No more death, no more tears. And there's this thing, it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's this incredible moment where our Father is coming together with his bride. Look at what it says. I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of many peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. Here it is. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Who's the bride? Anyone know? Who's the bride? It's, it's us. It's ragamuffins like us. This is the work that he's done to make us more like Jesus Christ. He has made her, herself ready. It was granted her to clothe her with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That's us. The angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the church. And she is beautiful. And she is spotless. And God has transformed her. This is the image that we're given. In just a few short weeks, Kelly and I will share a little bit of a, a mile marker in our relationship. We're going to hit the, the second decade, the big 20 years of being married together in a few weeks. Can I show you a picture of us when we got married? I'm going to show you a slightly, uh, <laughs> slightly thinner Alan Cullen. My wife looks identical. Beauty and the Beast, look at that. 
Anyone else calls her a beast, I'll kill them. 1999. I hardly deserve this incredible woman. She's not perfect, but she's pretty close. She has endured me and she has matured me. She's been incredibly kind and she outserves me every day of our marriage, I think. She's this rock star mom and she's the picture of diligence and hard work and style all wrapped up into one. I know I'm getting serious domestic credits here, haven't I? She loves Jesus with a great passion. And she's 22 in that picture. And she took 22 years to get ready for that day. And on that day, she gave herself to me. And I gave myself to her. So why the, why the home pictures? Could you imagine, just look at her. Could you imagine if on that day, somebody were to walk up to her? And say something rude to her. On our wedding day. I mean, rude things happen, right? People can be rude. But you wouldn't do it on your wedding day. You wouldn't do that to a bride on her wedding day, would you? What would you do if you overheard that? Somebody else's bride. Someone came up. And what if it was more than rude? What if it was nasty? What if they said something that just was just cruel, malicious, and they meant it? They intended to just cut her down. What if somebody, look at that beautiful dress. What if somebody were to take something, something dirty and, and, and put it on the dress or, or to fling it at the dress? What if somebody were to like splatter her with, with, with dirt or something like that? And then they were to say, add that with their words. What if somebody actually went up to her to try to hurt her, to actually hurt her on this day wearing that dress? What would you do? What would I do? Man, I'd forget about my Christianity for about five minutes. I'd be like, get your hands off my wife. Do you see what I'm trying to say? That's the church. Be so careful how you speak about the church. Oh yeah, but I know this church in Texas and they've got really bad theology. That's the bride of Jesus Christ. Don't touch her. Don't sully her in any way. Don't speak a word. Elevate her. Lift her up. For the day is coming, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where she will be spotless and perfect. And the enemy will test these very words. This is the church. This is the bride. So don't trash anybody here. You don't even get to trash yourself. Because you're in the church. You are the church. Never lay a finger on the bride. Never mistreat her. Never misuse the bride. Always lift her up. Think the best. Pray the best. Speak the best. Encourage. Lead with forgiveness. Be careful with your words. Kind words. Wise words. Encouraging words. Loving words. Your treatment of the bride is akin to your treatment of the groom. And his name is Jesus. Can we stand together? I'm going to go crazy. I know we don't usually do this. 
if there's somebody close to you, would you just put a hand on their shoulder? Just a hand on their shoulder. I don't mean to weird anyone out. <laughs> I know we don't usually do this. Father, we will be we will be committed to each other, God. We will defend and champion unity in this place. We will handle conflict and our differences biblically so that we can win our, our brother and sister back and align them with truth and love, God. We will be radically devoted to Jesus Christ. We will be relentlessly dedicated to reaching those who are outside of the family of God and we will never tarnish the reputation of the church. We will pray and uphold and support and serve and then we will pray and then we'll pray some more and then we'll pray some more. God, this is your church and we will treat the bride with honor. And for my brother and my sister beside me, for all of those around me, no matter how ragged we are, no matter all of our mistakes, we will love in a manner that creates value in each other. Today, we commit the local church to you. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can stop touching each other. <laughs> church, please hear this. I love you. God bless. Have a good week.